Hi, I'm Melissa. Hi, I'm Kara, and you're listening to Cultivated Conversations. A space where we talk about life, family, work, where we're getting it right, and where we're getting it wrong. And what it means to live and purchase ethically in a fast-moving world. Grab a cup of coffee or a glass of wine. Pull a seat up at the table and know that wherever you are on your journey, you belong. And we are so glad you've joined us. Hey listeners, welcome back to the podcast. Today on the show, we are talking about welcoming refugees. Something I am not that passionate about. Just kidding. If you know me, this is a topic that is very close to my heart and my family's heart. So today we welcome Lauren from Treetops Collective. Well, Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. It's so nice to be here and get to talk to you. Yeah, I am so excited for this conversation. And as our listeners know, if they are following the podcast or Instagram at all, I love refugees and I love refugee work and welcoming refugees in Tulsa. Oh, and so, so Lauren is from a nonprofit that has a social enterprise called Treetops Collective and they have awesome shirts and spread welcome gear, which I love. Tell us about yourself, Lauren, and tell us about Treetops Collective, all that good stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, thanks so much for wanting to share um, more about refugees and their resettlement experience and having us on. Um, yeah. I My personal story is that I am originally from a really small town in Indiana. Yeah. Um, so not much exposure to yeah. the world outside of my hometown and the world outside of that county and even my state um, until I got a little older and went off to school and then um, after school, um, I studied marketing and communications and knew I wanted to use that in um, my future career, but had trouble knowing how that um, intersected with my spiritual life mm -hmm. um, and ended up working in marketing and communications for nonprofits, uh, specifically yeah. in the space of economic and community development, um, and found okay. myself really passionate about that. And uh, um, right out of school, worked at an international nonprofit, went to um, a creative agency, and I worked there for a little while and learned a lot and gained a lot of skills. Um, and then um, after that, I was really ready to go back to the nonprofit realm. Mm -hmm. um, and um, that's when I found Treetops Collective. And I've been there for about a year and a half so far. Awesome. Um, and it's just been such a gift to work there uh, with all the women that we have on our team and um, to meet just these amazing new American women and teen girls that we get to serve every day. Um, it's really yeah. opened my eyes in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and awesome. then, yeah, so Treetops Collective itself is a, um, an organization that we're still young. Uh, we're in our third year this year, so okay. we're still very new, <laughs> um, very much a startup. Um, I love the world of startups, um, uh -huh. so I think that is part of what attracted me to what uh, Treetops was uh, trying to do in our community, yeah. and uh, um, we never want to lose that um, 
ability to shift and move and change and innovate the way that Mm -hmm. we're doing things so that we're always experimenting to find the best ways to serve new Americans um, by listening to them. Yeah. And yeah, so I just really appreciate that about our values. And I think that's what really attracted me to this organization, um, which was really my gateway into um, meeting refugee families and learning more about our refugee communities here in Grand Rapids. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So what does Treetops Collective do? Yeah, so we have two main areas of our organization. And um, like I was saying, we're a nonprofit, but we have a social enterprise. Mm -hmm. Um, So our social enterprise is one side of what we do. Our community development work is the other side of what we do. And our community development work consists mostly of our Sister Circles program. Um, okay. And it's Tell called, us about that. Yeah, it's so wonderful. It's, um, it's called Sister Circles because it's really about connecting refugee women and teen girls um, to local residents. And okay. uh, it started out by bringing a group of mostly um, East African mm-hmm. women into a space with some longtime residents and asking those East African women what would help them belong? What would help them feel like this new place is home? What would help them and their families thrive rather than just survive? Mm -hmm. What would help them to make this place home in a lasting way? And uh, out of those conversations and just listening, we heard that connections to uh, people that are from here uh, Mm -hmm. is very important, rebuilding their social fabric that they've lost in all of the hardship that they've gone through and then being brought to a completely new culture and country. Yeah. Um, so we, we heard that. We also heard that learning English was really important. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So important. Um, such a barrier in our society for someone who doesn't speak English and, uh, um, practicing with a native English speaker is such a great way to learn Mm -hmm. for sure. And so that is what started our sister circles program. And that program consisted of, um, matching these partnerships up. And a local resident and a new American would meet up um, once a week for about six months. And a lot of those partnerships would be longer than six months. And some of them would become more informal, but they Uh all would become friends in some capacity. I love Um, that. Yeah. I love that you asked, what would help you feel the belonging? Mm -hmm. What would help you feel that you belong here? I just love that word and that listening around that question. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And belonging is, um, to some, it seems like a fluffy word. Um, To some, it seems like a very intangible thing. And it is an intangible thing. But belonging, there there are studies and a lot of research and work around how belonging is the difference between thriving and not. And belonging is the difference between making it or um, not really making it in a new community. Mm -hmm. And it makes such a difference in the lives of these women and teen girls. And um, the reason we focus on women and teen girls um, and this idea of belonging is because there was just a lot of um, loneliness and isolation mm-hmm. for a lot yeah. of the women that were resettled to Grand Rapids. They were connected to a place to live and um, their, usually their husbands were connected to a job. But they were often home taking care of children. Um, Girls were often 
entering school, but still feeling this isolation because they didn't always speak the language um, mm -hmm. or they didn't quite yet speak it fluently. And uh, so we just saw this unmet need yeah. in our community. And so that, that was really where the focus on belonging for women and teen girls came from. Yeah, that's amazing. I always watch my words. I'm just going to say it. Just in the last few years in the political environment, we've actually like lumped groups of people together, called them refugees, when actually a refugee is a very specific person. So would you give our listeners an idea of just a definition of refugees? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a refugee is, so there are so many forcibly displaced people um, worldwide mm -hmm. right now. We're in a crisis like we haven't seen since World War II. Yeah. And there are about um, 68 and a half million displaced people in the world today. Um, that is not people that are um, leaving because they want to, but leaving because they have to. Yeah. Um, and then it's as an part distinction. of- distinction. Yeah, and then as part of that group, Refugees are a subset of that group, and mm -hmm. refugees are specifically people that have left because of a very well-founded fear or um, tangibly encountered persecution mm -hmm. um, for only specifically five reasons, race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. So it's this very well-defined um, subset and there's about 25.4 million refugees worldwide today um, wow. and that's just those that we have documented um, right and that are registered so there is a process of actually being registered as a refugee you have to prove to the united nations high council for refugees the unhcr you have to prove to them that you have a reason um, that you were forcibly displaced that you fled your home the only place you ever knew because you were afraid for your safety and your life and your family's mm -hmm. life. Yeah. I think that's a great job on defining it. Um, that the, the, the UNHCR, the UN High Council for Refugees, did I get that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they actually, you have to prove to them and they define you as a refugee. So when a lot of times we're talking about here in the States, undocumented um, neighbors, we're kind of putting them in the same conversation as refugees, but refugees have actually mm -hmm. been defined in this very specific person. So I always think that's so important for people to understand that, um, yeah. like you said, there's this big term of displaced folks around the world, and what did you say, over 65 million? 68.5 million wow. right now, yeah. which the largest... Um, Example we have on record previously was during World War II, and it was estimated between 11 and 20 million. And oh, now we have wow. 68 and a half million. <clears throat> yeah. I'll take a deep breath on that one. Yeah. It's a staggering number. Um, I think that numbers are helpful to understand, like, the scope of something. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually someone that uh, is really moved by numbers and things at scale, um, uh -huh. communities coming together for the good of everyone. Um, and so numbers actually are um, very moving to me, mm -hmm. but yeah. they're not moving to everyone. And right. each of those numbers is an individual story. 
Um, and as an individual person, I think that's why I'm so grateful to be at treetops because I'm meeting those people. I'm meeting those families and spending time with them and being blessed by them and their presence, um, and their warmth to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Incredible. We have, um, been blessed in our family to uh, volunteer for Catholic Charities, who's a welcoming agency here in Tulsa. Mm, Yeah. And one of the main things we do is welcome at the airport. Oh, that's great. And it is overwhelming sometimes to see families reunited mm-hmm. and the emotion that comes with that. Mm-hmm. So with that, tell us how a refugee would make it to the U.S., to this point where I meet them at the airport. Yeah, for sure. Um it's a really complex process, and that is why there's so much misunderstanding around it. Mm-hmm. Um, understandably so. Um, unless you really dig into it, it is hard to know exactly what the process is. There's uh, some intentional misinformation when someone wants certain policies and, and doesn't necessarily want to welcome refugees or is afraid or concerned of uh, who refugees are and Um, So there is some misinformation out there intentional and some is completely accidental. It's just a complex process and it is a complex process because it is so thorough. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Yeah. Or as we used to hear, extreme vetting. Yes, truly, truly extreme vetting. Um, So out of that 25.4 million refugees, so that's the subset of the Mm -hmm. forcibly displaced peoples that we have in the world right now, out of that subset of refugees, only 1% are ever resettled anywhere to like a third country that um, does resettlement. And uh, they first go through a process with the UNHCR where they get registered. Um, the Only the people that are considered most vulnerable are um, registered for resettlement. So um, that is situations where maybe they're a woman or girl um, that is at risk um, or either girl or boy children at risk, mm-hmm. um, women heads of households, so they don't have a partner, um, but they are caring for their children, the elderly, um, people that have been survivors of violence and torture, um, or those that have really acute medical needs. So it's only the most vulnerable that are flagged for resettlement, and um, only 1% of the total of refugees in our world today are ever resettled. And then when they're flagged for resettlement, that's after an extensive case study and lots of proving things um, to lots of people. And yeah. um, when I have spoken with some of my um, coworkers that were resettled here, um, they have talked about how, and I've heard other stories of how when you're fleeing your home, in, in my uh, perspective, if I were fleeing my home, I would just run and um, I probably wouldn't have the foresight to know what to bring, Mm -hmm. but there's this knowledge that you have to prove so much that if you're fleeing your home, even under a threat of immediate violence, you grab all your documents Hmm. because they already know they're going to have to work so hard to prove who they are, where they're coming from, what they're about, why they fled. And that's just the UNHCR of the process then once they are selected um, for resettlement by the UNHCR the US and other countries that accept refugees get um, kind of a dossier on each refugee that could be resettled there and then the US um, and every other country has their own 
process for then mm-hmm. again vetting yeah. who can come um, and who they will choose to resettle. So the resettlement to the United States includes eight different federal agencies. There are six different security databases, five different background checks, four different um, biometric security checks. There are three different interviews and two interagency security checks. So again, it's a lot of numbers, but it's so many different checkpoints because the U.S. does take the safety of people who are already here very seriously and I appreciate that but it is such a um, intensive process that you know any sometimes I hear um, things about uh, refugees coming that are potentially terrorists or maybe that's how terrorist organizations would try to with you know get their way into the United States it is uh, the least efficient way (laughs) there are much easier ways Um, But it's hard to know all the details of that and the reality of that until you do your research. And Yeah. yeah. And those checks, medical checks and background checks, they all have a time frame from what my friends have told me. And yeah. They, yeah. we actually had a family that was coming, and they got delayed for some reason. But then during that delay, everything expired. So they mm-hmm. had to run all the checks again and wait even longer to be able to get on that plane to come. Yeah, was, yeah there are um, just all kinds of details and timelines and things can expire and the whole process takes a very long time. Most refugees that end up being resettled, it takes up to 10, 15 years of waiting. Yeah. 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 Whew. We, um, a lot of times when we welcome at the airport, they already have family here and that they've been working to bring them to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have a very large Burmese community here in Tulsa. Oh, that's but Catholic, yeah, Catholic Charities has been working to kind of expand um, the groups that are able to come. So they've hosted a Congolese family, came in October, and so generally when we go to the airport, that family that's coming already has a support system here, which is so mm. important. Helps yeah. with that belonging that you were talking about. Oh my, yeah. Um, but this Congolese family had nobody. Mm. So our family has been very blessed to be able to walk alongside them and be part of their support system and friends and um hearing the process that they've been through, they were in a refugee camp for 20 years and before coming to the States and. Wow. That's a whole lifetime. Well, and that's, yeah. Like, so you've got, um, the aunt who's the matriarch of the family who's almost Mm -hmm. 40. And then, um, her nephew and her son were like three or four, when they were fleeing the Congo and going to oh, Uganda wow. to the refugee camp. And everybody else, there's 10 of them, all the other kids were born in the refugee camp. And wow. so you talk about being a different world, like going from mm-hmm. a refugee camp to going through all of the airports and security checks to get here, just the journey. And then 
one of them came first before everybody else and like a week he was here by himself and we took him out to dinner and took him to Walmart and it was crazy to see watch his reaction to a whole new world mm-hmm. you know I try we hang out with a lot of internationals here in Tulsa so we don't assume anything that they're very intelligent people but walking through mm-hmm. Walmart he was so overwhelmed mm-hmm. and yeah our culture our culture is a sensory overload <laughs> oh my gosh um and it's kind of interesting. There are times I've um, traveled abroad to different places and in the marketplace or in the airport or right outside the airport. I have a sensory overload in those particular situations. But yeah. when folks are coming to the United States, such a different culture, um, from so different from what they have lived in and loved and the places yeah. that they've loved and the people that they've loved. And it also is such a sensory overload um, and yeah. just so much to adjust to. And Mm -hmm. especially after being through situations that can be so traumatic Mm -hmm. and um, still dealing with some of that trauma. And then to come here, the hope is that when they get here, that they have an opportunity to heal from that trauma Mm -hmm. um, and that they have an opportunity to thrive and that they don't just live paycheck to paycheck, but that they're able to save and that they're able to um, create a future for their families, but that is not possible without people like you and your family that yeah. are coming alongside them. And it's great to hear that you're connected with Catholic Charities. Mm-hmm. The agencies that resettle refugees are um, amazing people and amazing organizations. We have two in Grand Rapids, uh-huh. um, Bethany Christian Services and Samaritas that resettle uh, okay. refugee families and. It is um, amazing to see the work that they do. And that initial resettlement period is so important. And then our hope at Treetops is that we're able to come in after that initial resettlement period um, and that folks are referred to us by their caseworkers. And then we have an opportunity to walk with them for a much longer period of time. That's great. So I met Treetops Collective at CCDA in last October. Mm-hmm. And they actually had a breakout session that talked a little bit about this. They were talking to refugees about what do they say they need. Not me as a volunteer or Catholic charity saying, hey, here's what I think you need, but what are they saying they need? And one of the things they talked about was their agencies, Bethany Catholic Charities, they do such an amazing job those first three months when they are helping them get everything set up. But they, that second step, that after mm-hmm. that three months is where their needs just explode, where they need that community and belonging. And yeah, my understanding is their resettlement agency only has about three months to get them on their feet-ish, you know. Yeah, and sometimes that can be extended with certain grants and certain programs, but it only can be extended another three months for a total of six months. And I mean... I have had like a small slice of being relocated, um, mm-hmm. w- just even still within the Midwest, <laughs> Yeah. but just to a new city. And it took me a lot longer than six months to ever begin to feel like I belonged, much less um, all of the kind of barriers they're facing and where they're coming from. Yeah, and the whole new world that they're here. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, so another part of what we do 
Um, I hadn't touched on this yet, but our social enterprise. Yeah, tell us about the social enterprise. Yeah, um, our social enterprise is another reason why I really just love um, Treetops and have been so excited to be part of what we've been building there. Uh, our social enterprise, the point of it is to celebrate the creative gifts that refugees are bringing to our yeah. communities. Um, it's to celebrate the talents and skills and uh, um, everything that they enrich our community with. Uh -huh. So we make organic cotton children's clothing. It's uh -huh. uh, grown and sewn in the U.S., cotton. Um, uh -huh. We employ uh, new Americans to sew in our makerspace um, in downtown Grand Rapids. And then, um, so that's our organic cotton children's line. And then we have a line of welcome wear. so cute. Thank you. Um, yeah, then we have a line of welcome wear that has welcome in five different languages. And that is really like our advocacy line. That uh -huh. is, um, we're hoping that people buy our um, welcome shirt in Kenya, Rwanda, and uh, that they're walking down the street and that a family from East Africa sees that and feels more welcome, um, yeah. even by just that experience. And then the other hope is that by wearing those shirts, people can start a conversation yeah. and uh, can really uh, make others who weren't previously aware of uh, new American communities um, to be more aware of uh, um, our new neighbors. And so that's our welcome wear line. And then we also have home goods. So yeah. um, things like pillows and um, some little nesting bins. And we've started working with um, Numok, a woman from Sudan who weaves uh -huh. baskets and she started to make fabric baskets with yeah. us. And uh, we also have pottery. So our lead sewist yeah. is also a skilled potter and she makes beautiful ceramics. She studied at the University of Baghdad before she uh, needed to leave Iraq. Wow. Yeah, so uh, all of these things, the point is just to connect women to the marketplace yeah and to um kind of have a vehicle to bring people that weren't previously aware of new americans um, mm -hmm. and haven't interacted with new americans to have an opportunity to do so and to and to create employment opportunities for women and teen girls in our program yeah i love it we always hear give a man a fish you feed him for a day teach a man to fish you feed him for a lifetime but in this fair trade world and ethical fashion world, I almost want to spin the conversation and say, you're not teaching them to fish. They have these no, beautiful skills. Yeah. You're giving them access to the pond, yeah. access to the marketplace to say, bring your skills, bring your talent, bring your artistry and, and beautify and enlighten my life with your talents, you know? Absolutely. I love that. Um, that analogy. <laughs> yeah. And it's so true. Uh, we are really just partnering with these women and mm -hmm. being their allies and giving them a space to um, do their craft. Mm -hmm. And they're really the ones bringing the skills and talents. And um, in times when they want to improve their skills, it's them bringing the motivation to do so. Yeah. And it's really just connecting them to the marketplace. Yeah. I love the spread welcome stuff. Mm. I need to get me a shirt. <laughs> and I love that it's not too... So I have a t-shirt that says Refugees Welcome. Mm -hmm. And I wore it during a season to just be a little bit more 
I mean, I'm not very in your face person, <laughs> but that was like my little bit of in your face, like, yeah, <laughs> I will welcome refugees. Yeah. No matter what anybody's saying on the news. Um, but the spread yeah. welcome is that it's non-confrontational, but that like heart of welcoming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we really feel like that this conversation doesn't need to be um, polarized. This right. conversation doesn't need to be if you know if you're in this camp, then you are against immigration or yeah. against certain groups immigrating here. Really, we hope that everyone feels the freedom in whatever their like political choices and leanings are to make decisions issue by issue and to make decisions mm -hmm, for sure. um, on specific things and, and knowing the realities behind all of these issues. And so we really hope that what, the work that we're doing gives everyone an opportunity to learn mm -hmm. the this realities, the stories, and to meet the people. And um, we hope that the work that we're doing helps us to create a more welcoming community in Grand Rapids. Um, yeah. And we love it when it spreads beyond Grand Rapids, and we love to see other cities doing the same work. Yeah, absolutely. We um, So my Congolese friends, we went to a Christmas parade back in December, and down come the parade route was uh, one of our new congressmen. Mm -hmm. And I stepped back for a second, it was like something inside me said, Kara, get up there and advocate for your friends. Mm -hmm. And I just stuck my hand out there and I was like, sir, congressman, come meet my friends. And well, I That's don't great. usually like to throw it out there like, these are my refugee friends. Mm -hmm. um, but it felt like in that moment, like, here's it, our congressman can't know, they're supposed to know a lot about everything. And that's just hard. Yeah. So he stopped, took a picture with them, and we used that as an opportunity to open a dialogue with his office. And actually a few weeks ago, um, gosh, I forget his position in the congressman's office, but one of the guys in Tulsa that works in his office that leads the office here came out to the airport and welcomed a family of Ukrainians and... Um, listen to their stories, listen to Catholic Charities. One of their um, coordinators was there, listen to how they got here. And, and when we were at the parade, I told my Congolese friends, we need people like this gentleman to know your story so that more people yeah. can come. <clears throat> Absolutely. And so that he's in the position where he, his voice, he can take our voice mm -hmm. and say, Here's the real story. Here's the real situation. We need to be more welcoming. We need to open up our numbers. Mm -hmm. All of that. So, yeah, I get on tangents with refugees. And <laughs> <laughs> can anybody see my passion? <laughs> That's so great. Bringing up this congressman, our numbers in the U.S. have dropped recently. Can you just give, like you're saying, we give. Um, politics does play a role in it, but I always tell people it's not a political, refugees is not a political issue. <laughs> yeah. But tell us how those numbers are set, how, how it's determined how many folks are able to come and how that all works. 
Yeah, so I don't know all the ins and outs of it. Um, there are people that work on the in advocacy organizations that know a lot more details um, about how, how all of that works. But um, some things that I do know is just that the, the ceiling is really set by the president's administration. Mm-hmm. And it's decided that um, in any given year what that ceiling will be. Whether or not we reach that maximum number um, comes down to a lot of other factors. Mm -hmm. So in our current environment, the ceiling has been set at 30,000. That's the lowest it has been and in a long time, if ever. And no one actually believes that we'll even reach that number. Um, Oh, wow. Mostly because a lot of the grant funding or the government funding that is... uh, that helps um, these agencies carry out the work that they do mm-hmm. is uh, being cut. Yeah. So it's sort of a dismantling of the entire uh, resettlement system as it exists um, through various means. One of those is the funding. Another is uh, um, these bans on particular refugees or Im- immigrants from certain areas of the world, mostly mm-hmm. Muslim majority countries. And uh, that is where a lot of the need is. So a lot of the folks that are vulnerable are fleeing violence and who need a safe third country to resettle in, they're coming from those countries. But because Mm -hmm. we have um, this limitation on those folks coming into our country, no one actually believes we'll reach even that low ceiling that we have set for this um, current year. So that is uh, um, kind of where we're at in our current environment. Yeah. It, is, uh, um, it is always really sad to uh, my entire team and to myself at Treetops when we hear more news coming um, yeah. that another policy has been changed or that the ceiling was reduced. Um, it is also something that helps bring attention. So if there's Mm -hmm. any positive that comes out of our current news cycle right now, it's that um, there has been a little bit more attention on um, this particular subset of immigrants, Mm -hmm. these refugees that need to be resettled. Um, But overall, it's a pretty sad uh, sedate of where we're at right now. Historically, Mm -hmm. the U.S. has been an amazing country for resettling refugees. We we take the most vulnerable cases. We really open our arms um, and maintain that history of welcoming that we've always had um, up until the last couple years. Besides welcoming and... um meeting folks at the airport, um, mm-hmm. working with organizations like Treetops Collective. In that advocacy, do you see any steps we can take to change that ceiling, to change that funding? Or do you feel like we've all just got to do what we got to do in our place and open those doors when we meet congressmen and Run senators? for president. <laughs> right, <yes. laughs> Uh, truly, run for president. Now that you're um, all here, that's why I got you together on the podcast. <laughs> 2020. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a really great question. Our work is really founded in knowing that there, there are some, some of us are not in politics and that's not our calling or our career. Uh-huh. And, but knowing that all of us can do something. So 
all of the work that we're doing is really founded on this understanding that we have a global crisis, but -hmm. that all of us can do something in our daily lives and our local communities about it. So I fully stand behind and would love to see more and more people doing the kinds of things that you're doing and doing the kinds of things that the volunteers at Treetops do, um, Mm -hmm. being cross-cultural partners and helping us. Like we're truly run by volunteers. Um, It's amazing, I've met some amazing people. Um, So I think that that's a really important thing that people stay connected and know that while they can't tackle this entire global crisis, they can do something in their everyday and they can team up with others that are doing something too. And we can make a difference in our local communities for the new Americans that have come and Mm -hmm. that are making this place home. But um, to answer your question beyond that, I think that truly getting involved in policy, starting in places like you were just describing at that parade when you um, flagged down your representative and you introduced him to your new American, this new American family that you're friends with. Mm-hmm. Things like that are like where it starts. And then yeah. it's connecting with that representative and any other representatives in your area about um, what you care about and what you think is important. Mm-hmm. It's about educating um, and being an advocate to people in your circles. And yeah. I know that political conversations Absolutely. are really hard to have. <laughs> Um, But I think that there's a way to, with open hands and open heart, have those conversations with people in your circle and to be that ally and advocate. And Mm -hmm. it's so important for us to raise and uplift the voices of new Americans. Um, And that's what we really want to do. And that's what you did by introducing um, your friends to this congressman. Um, Yeah. But the other side of it is that new Americans shouldn't have to be the ones representing themselves and educating mm-hmm. other um, local residents right. and neighbors. And that's what we can help do um, Absolutely. to change this overall mindset and uh, um, to create hopefully others who will advocate to our representatives mm-hmm. in the future. And then beyond that, help with campaigns um, of politicians that you know are... Um, friendly to immigration or have um, welcoming policies or want to implement welcoming policies, help with campaigns, get out and knock on doors for them. And all the way up to, I was joking about running for president, but if you um, feel called into, or if anyone feels called into politics, we've had a record number of women run last year. And that was so in the last few years. And that was Mm -hmm. so um, encouraging to see. And uh, I just really believe in the power of of women to create change and of uh, um, strong men to create change. And so I would just love to see more women and men that didn't previously consider politics um, help on campaigns and Mm -hmm. actually run, um, whether it's in their local communities or for a state office. Yeah. And then we actually this year have the first refugee. Is it in Congress or Senate? The, yes. Yeah. There were quite a few <laughs> um, amazing records that we broke. And that was one of them. Yeah. So amazing. I um, I don't know why I've never been 
too political until the last probably five years, but um, I started calling my senator's office and That's my congressman's awesome. office, and this is how they greet me. Oh, Mrs. Mosby, you've called before. <laughs> and I was like, yes, yes, I did. <laughs> I just want you to know. And a lot of them nowadays are, hey, I want you to come to the airport with me. You know, I've told uh, one of our senators in Oklahoma, he's always welcome at the airport with me. That's awesome. And this congressman, you're always welcome to come. Yeah. Always welcome to come. And this congressman, his office is like, we want you to tell us every time they come. Okay. We'll That's great. That's great. Just keep elevating the conversation. Mm -hmm. That's so wonderful. Um, okay, anything you want to add? Do, do you have any personal stories? <laughs> yeah, um, that's a great question. So, uh, there's like a few different stories that are rattling around in my head. Um, I think my favorite, and I'm starting to get emotional. <laughs> um, <laughs> My favorite story, I will use different names to respect privacy mm -hmm. of these yeah. folks. Um, but one of my favorite stories is of Giselle and her family and uh, the cross-cultural partner that we partnered her with, uh, Marlene. And Giselle came here and she was here alone. She had two daughters um, and she... Her husband was not yet here, and uh, she was uh, um, working hard. She was cleaning houses with an agency, um, but being a single mom and coming to a new country and uh, um, just navigating all of the things that come along with that, um, she ended up um, referred to us, and uh, um, she connected with us and got to know Shadia, one of our team members who uh, works with and gets to know um, all of the women in our program. And after getting to know Giselle, Shadia said, we have to connect her with a cross-cultural partner because she's mm -hmm. amazing. She's just this bright light, a really inspiring person, warm, kind, um, smart, um, but she just doesn't have other family connections here in our city yeah. and anyone would struggle with that. And, um, so let's, let's get her connected to a cross-cultural partner. So one of our volunteers who is so wonderful and comes into our space every week and helps us out with all sorts of things, um, said, I think I'm ready to be a cross-cultural partner and I definitely want to like be more committed and more involved in what you guys are doing. And she is wonderful so we said, absolutely, we know just the person to connect you with. So we connected them and they, their relationship started out good, but there's some trust that you have to build there. Yeah. And uh, Marlene, this volunteer, took the time and uh, um, made the effort to um, be a friend to mm -hmm. Giselle and just started with tea in her home and um, went and visited every week and just got to know Giselle for who she is and got to know her children um, and sometimes that's how it starts because the new American women that we work with have had such hard experiences they don't necessarily want to leave their home with a stranger first mm -hmm. thing um, yeah 
but Marlene went over and visited and after a couple months they started um, going on little excursions around town or running errands together. Um, they started meeting uh, Marlene's more extended family, um, her children and her husband, and uh, now the two families are friends. Yeah. They hang out together all the time. When um, Giselle's husband was able to finally come and mm-hmm. join her here in Grand Rapids, um, Marlene was there to throw him a party, um, a welcoming party, uh, was there to host um, at um, their new apartment. And uh, um, she has told us the story of what that meant to her um, to stand at their apartment door and open the door for them coming back from the airport and to watch Giselle and her husband and their two daughters um, be reunited and to come into their new home Mm -hmm. here in the U.S. and how she just bawled in that moment and also couldn't believe that Giselle had let her into her life to that extent and had trusted her to that extent. Um, So I think that they both have been affected, um, but it's been such a blessing to Marlene too. Yeah. And it just also makes me think of how much of a blessing it is for me and um, getting to know the women in our program and even the teammates that I have that um, initially came as refugees and just the warmth and the grace and the um, beautiful way that they have been with me as I have even through this process learned more about their experiences and mm-hmm. have learned about things outside of myself and my own experience. Um, so yeah, we have a lot of amazing stories like that. Mm-hmm. Like Giselle and Marlene of these cross-cultural partners that um, have really opened up their arms and what a difference it makes. And sometimes it's easy to say that, well, I'm just one person. What can I do? But you can do a lot in the life of one other person and you will gain a lot from it. And you are not the one in the relationship that is just giving and giving. You will receive a lot and they will give you a lot in the relationship. Oh, man, I got emotional (laughs) listening to that story because for our family, I have watched my son have a hard time building friendships, just at school, at church, just in general life interactions. He will hang with adults more, and he just doesn't, he's a very, as the moms at gymnastics say, he's extra. He's extra. He's just got a lot of energy. But this Congolese, our Congolese friends, they have a little girl that's five, and I have never seen my son light up the way he lights up around her and just this freedom that he has around her and the beautiful friendship that they have created and how he leads her and then follows her and it's just this beautiful rhythm that I've never seen him have with another kid Mm -hmm. and this like deep friendship that when her uncle came the first week and he was by himself he said those two are going to be best buds. (laughs) and I just have some of them I have beautiful pictures because I was like I have to remember these moments of them running through the park holding hands and I just so you talk about this relationship between these two I think oh my gosh that's my family (laughs) because we are for me to be able to see my son connect 
And you think if we didn't welcome, my family needs their family. Mm-hmm. You know, we think it's the other way around, that they need us to show them how to get around Tulsa or help them find a job or whatever, but my family needs them. And in a different way, but just how full they have made our lives and how... They bring um, just folks from the cultures that new Americans are often coming from, bring something that we're desperately, desperately missing in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And they bring a perspective on life and a warmth towards people Uh and a resilience that we can't comprehend. Yeah. And a gratefulness and a gratitude about life Mm -hmm. that... I am ashamed that I don't practice with all that I have been given. (laughs) Um, But they, it's interesting, in our culture, we often value these really tangible things like the ability to speak our language or the ability to drive a car, um, those sorts of things. And we think that we're the ones who are really helping them. Mm -hmm. And in reality, we are missing all of these maybe more intangible things Mm -hmm. that are the real soul of life. Yeah. And in reality, they are the ones bringing so much to us. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you so much for telling us that story. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like we could talk all day. (laughs) But we always end our conversation here, Uncultivated Conversations, Mm -hmm. with some fashion talk. And we actually, I was inviting someone to be on the podcast for another one of these justice talks. And she's like, I'm so curious, what does this have to do with ethical fashion? Mm -hmm. And my answer is when, for a lot of our listeners and followers, when you start opening up to ethical fashion and learning about the injustices that go on in factories around the world and um, you start learning about artisans and artisans like at Trees Top, Treetops Collective. It starts opening up these bigger conversations like refugees and, mm-hmm. and race and human trafficking. And there's so many other conversations. So that's how it comes together. Mm-hmm. Also, this is what it's like to be my friend. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about the brand new pair of shoes we got. And we're going to talk about the new refugees that I met. So um, That's a great combination. Right. And then we'll jump right back to fashion. We'll get on the verge of tears on a mm-hmm. justice topic and then back to fashion. So uh, welcome to being my friend, Lauren. Uh, so Glad to be us, your friend. <laughs> tell us about um, an ethical brand or eco-friendly brand that you're loving these days. Yeah, I feel like my answer is cheating um, because the first thing that pops to mind is known supply. Um, Yes, tell us about them. (laughs) Um, So they branched (laughs) off of Crochet Kids, if anyone's Mm -hmm. familiar with Crochet Kids, and or maybe you're super familiar with them. (laughs) Um, But Known Supply is actually one of our suppliers at Treetops, and that's how I got to know them is through my work there. And um, they are really wonderful. They're making um, lots of different things, and they are even doing like custom T-shirts for us Mm -hmm. right now. Um, We're switching over our supply. 
um, so that our welcome wear will be made from Known Supply. And um, Known Supply is doing the really hard work of figuring out what it means to manufacture clothing in a very ethical way and creating really great working environments. And um, each of their pieces of clothing, there's a tag on the inside that has the name of the woman who made it. Yeah. And it's just really high quality also. Um, so I really love them right now. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Mm -hmm. So do you guys do the screen printing yourself or is Known Supply doing the screen printing? Yeah, so we do the screen printing and everything that... So we have partners that do the screen printing. So... Uh, our purpose is that every single thing that we make has um, in some way been touched by a new American mm -hmm. and has been worked on and their talents have gone into that piece. Um, so we have a partner that works with teen girls that are new mm -hmm. Americans and she screen prints with these teen girls. And awesome. that is who does... Um, quite a bit of our screen printing. We have another screen printing partner that doesn't work with New Americans, um, but we're, we always make sure that everything that we sell is touched by um, New Americans. So if we ever screen print with them, um, it's a piece that um, New Americans touched or worked on in some other way. Mm -hmm. um, and then a lot of our um, goods are sourced from either eco-friendly or ethical manufacturers like Known Supply. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so tell us about a recent purchase you made for your wardrobe. Ethical, not ethical, but one that you're loving. Yeah, um, it's not a very trendy thing. It's a t-shirt. <laughs> uh -huh. um, but this past Monday, I really love the band Gunger. Uh -huh. And uh, they are on their farewell tour. I'm very sad. They're not going to make music anymore together. Um, but I bought a t-shirt that was sourced from Known Supply by uh -huh. Gunger. And they screen printed on it. And it says Sacred Feminine on it. Oh. So it's just about um, the femininity of God and uh -huh. uh, how God encompasses um, both masculine and feminine and I just really uh -huh. love that t-shirt right now and it's really cozy and it's really long and uh -huh. I like that about it. That's awesome. Now what's a purchase you're looking forward to making? Oh man, um, so I've been trying to make this purchase for a while and I'm still searching for the right one. Um, I really want to get a nice like wool blazer it's like uh -huh. camel colored and just very classic. Mm -hmm. um, but I want to find like maybe one with an inverted collar, maybe some open pockets. Uh -huh. um, so I haven't quite found the right one yet. So I am really open for recommendations, especially yeah. if they're from an ethical manufacturer. I would love that. Yeah. It's so hard when you have like a very specific, mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, I just really want to find this. <laughs> and I always say you've got to have your kind of list of I want to find these. So then someday it just pops up and you're like, exactly. oh, that's on my list. I need it. <laughs> I totally keep a list and my little, my camel blazer has been on there for a while, but I don't buy it until I find the one I like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to wait it out. Trying to so. be a minimalist too. Right. Oh, it's so hard. <laughs> well, Lauren, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's really nice to talk to someone that is just so 
welcoming and warm and uh, passionate about it. And so you're lovely. And it's been really great to get to talk about um, new Americans with you and right. the gift that is um, my job right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Again, another great conversation today. I enjoyed my conversation with Lauren so much to talk to someone who is doing the work that is so close to my heart, brings me joy, and is so life-giving. So I hope you were able to get some of that from the conversation as well. So guys, you've got to go check out Treetops Collective because they have a new welcome mat for your home that says Spread Welcome go check them out. They have a great shop. Their social enterprise is awesome. So if you need a shirt, a spread welcome shirt, go check out Treetops Collective. If you need one of our new joy graphic tees, go check out cultivated.fashion. We'll be back soon.